Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. So good evening. We are now in chapter five of Thomas Watson's little book, All Things for Good. Um, the first three chapters, we considered how the best things work for good, how the worst things work for good, and then why all things work for good. And then in the last couple weeks, we were in chapter four, and we talked about those who love God, who are the beneficiaries of this promise. And so for chapter 5, Thomas Watson wants us to consider whether or not we are those that love God. He says, as the Bible does, you will know them by their fruit. So the test of love to God is the name of this chapter. Um, so let's read this first paragraph here. It said, let us test ourselves impartially, whether we are in the number of those that love God. For the deciding of this, as our love will be best seen by the fruits of it. I shall lay down 14 signs or fruits of love to God. And it concerns us to search carefully whether any of these fruits grow in our garden. And so now we're going to talk about whether or not we are the ones who love God. And so he's going to offer us 14 different signs or fruits to see if uh, in our garden those fruits are there and growing. Number one, the first fruit of God, I'm sorry, the first fruit of genuine love to God is the musing of the mind upon God. He who is in love, his thoughts are ever upon the object of his love. He who loves God is ravished and transported with the contemplation of God. When I awake, I am still with you. The thoughts are as the travelers in the mind. David's thoughts kept on the heaven road. I am, excuse me, <coughs> I am still with you. God is the treasure, and where the treasure is, there is the heart. By this we may test our love to God. What are our thoughts most upon? Can we say we are ravished with delight when we think on God? Have our thoughts got wings? Are they fled aloft? Do we contemplate Christ and glory? Oh, how far are they from being lovers of God who scarcely ever think of God? God is not in all his thoughts. A sinner crowds out God, uh, crowds God out of his thoughts. He never thinks of God unless with horror, as a prisoner thinks of the judge. Can I get a glass of water, one of you ladies? Thank you. Okay. And so, what do we think about this? Um, putting this in our own words, the musing of the mind upon God as a uh, a sign of our love to God. Comments? Questions? Yeah, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind, no pun intended, is how often our minds are on everything else but God. Mm. Um, 
you know, whether it be the trials of the day, whether it be something we're really into, whether it be waking up in the morning, what's our first thoughts, going to bed at night, what are our last thoughts. Um, I, I would have to say all too often our, our minds are, are not set in, in tune with as, at least as much as they should be. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then again, I, I go back to the, uh, the whole idea of our, our thoughts being uh, you know, an, an idle garden. You know, uh, you know I, I've actually been thinking, again, no pun intended, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, you know, because, you know, I'll be driving to work and my mind will be all over the place, you know, and, and, uh, and such like that. And, you know, how, how do I spend my time? Mm. You know, so, whatever. Mm. No, it's a good question. Go. No, it's true. Um, you know, he, he talks about the person who, you know, who's in love. Their thoughts often go to the object of their love. It's just natural. Um, I was thinking, you know, just having preached a Sunday, I'm longing for the pure milk of the word, which sustains us. And through it, we begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, that is, we experience him. And in the busyness of life, I can hear the objection you know, it's easier to think of someone we love when we can see them in, or interact with them. I'm talking about, like, where do our thoughts go? And um, so you might think, well, yes, I love God, but, you know, I love so-and-so, right? But I, I see them. I, you know, I, I can interact with them on a regular basis. Um, but what he's saying here is, here is when we're not around that person, our mind automatically goes to them, doesn't it? Um, and as we consider the fact that we can experience God. We can interact with God. And I was writing down these notes and then I get to the next point and it talks about that exactly. Um, but when we interact with the Lord through his word and we give him opportunity to speak to us, when we pray and we are speaking to him, uh, this will bring our mind to think about God. And the more we do so, the more thoughts of him are going to be in our mind. The more we expose ourselves to him, give ourselves the opportunity to experience him, the more we will think about him. Um, so there's that. Uh, the next fruit of genuine love to God is to desire communion with him. Love desires familiarity and fellowship. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. King David, being debarred the house of God where the tabernacle was, the visible token of his presence, he breathes after God, and in a holy pathos of desires cries out for the living God. Lovers desire to be conversing together. If we love God, we prize his ordinances, because there we meet with God. He speaks to us in his word, and we speak to him in prayer. By this, let us examine our love to God. Do we desire intimacy of communion with God? Lovers cannot be long away from each other. Such as love God have, such as love God have a holy affection for Him and desire to be with Him. They can bear the lack of anything but God's presence. They can do without health and friends. They can be happy without a full table, but they cannot be happy without God. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the grave. Lovers have their fainting fits. David was ready to faint away and die when he had not a sight of love. They who love God cannot be contented with having ordinances unless they may enjoy God in them. 
that they would be to that would be to lick the glass and not the honey. Hmm. What shall we say to those who can be all their lives long without God? They think that God may be ignored. They complain they lack health and trading, but not that they lack God. Wicked men are not acquainted with God. How can they love him who are not acquainted with him? Nay, which is worse, they do not desire to be acquainted with him. They say to God, depart from us. We desire not the knowledge of your ways. Sinners shun acquaintance with God. They count his presence a burden. And are these lovers of God? Does that woman love her husband who cannot endure to be in his presence? Hmm. Okay, we'll go back to that for a second. So, um, thoughts or comments on that? It's, as I was starting to talk about our thought life, um, and does our thoughts go to God? And, and my mind went to, well, if, if we read his word, if we spend time in prayer, um, that'll bring our mind directly to God. And even when we're not in the moment reading or in the moment praying, the more we expose ourselves to God and his ways, the more we're going to think about him. And so our thoughts can bring us to prayer and bring us to scripture reading. And scripture reading and our prayers can bring us to be thinking about him. And so it is sort of tied together. Uh, the more we interact, uh, the more we have fellowship with him. Other comments on that? Yeah, I just want to uh, go back to before. Yeah, just yeah, sure. because I, I think it bears noting that there is a difference between thoughts about God and godly thoughts. Mm. Right? We are not to be focused. And here, just hear me out when I say this: we are not to be focused on God twenty-four-seven. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. How do we love our neighbor if we're focused on God and we're thinking about God? Mm -hmm. Or let's say uh, Bob's doctor is working on his eye and says, mm, "Boy." Divine simplicity. How does this work? <laughs> you know, we're supposed mm -hmm. to be focused on those things, mm -hmm. but with God permeating those thoughts. Mm -hmm. So the focus does not have to be God himself, mm -hmm. okay, but we can have godly thoughts about other people, you know, functioning in, in, in our jobs, right. in our love towards neighbor, towards community, towards our relatives. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're not to be fixed on <laughs> theology, mm -hmm. right, but we're to have those the, the word of God in us, right? God, David hides his word mm -hmm. you know, in his heart that he may not sin, mm -hmm. right? So the word is in us. We have these godly thoughts towards other people, mm -hmm. and we see God in everything. Right. But, and there's a time and a place, obviously, to focus specifically mm -hmm. on God, but then there's a time and a place to focus specifically on our, on our wives, husbands, mm -hmm. neighbors. That right. Is. Those things that he tells us to, to love and to care for. Now, that's a good, that's an important distinction. Um, I've, I've heard of people who, um, you know, there, there used to be a saying, uh, I don't know if it's still around, maybe, that someone is so heavenly minded that they're no yeah, earthly good, good, right? Um, and I've, I've, heard, I've heard reports of conversation where someone is trying to talk to someone about something, anything, in, in life. And they're like, oh, no, I don't, only, I don't want to talk about that. I, I only want to talk about, you know, I only want to talk about the Lord. I only think about the Lord. You know, that stuff is just, it's all other. But God should be flowing through all of that. He gives us this world, but are we thinking about it in his reflection? Go ahead, Doug. Yeah, the, the, well, I had a thought from before, but I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, to Anthony's point, I remember one time uh, hearing a commentator uh, comment on uh, Paul and that, 
his view was through the scripture. Mm -hmm. It was Christ-centered because it was viewed through the scriptures. Mm -hmm. So to to uh, Anthony's uh, point, if we're viewing things through the scripture, if our thinking is because of the reading of scripture and prayer and such, which I'll make a comment on in a minute, uh, if, if we're viewing things through that, then we, we are. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing both. We're, mm -hmm. we're loving our neighbor, mm -hmm. and we're, we're keeping both parts of the Ten Commandments, both mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I agree. Mm -hmm. But that's something that takes some, some uh, I want to say training, but uh -huh. the Holy Spirit is the one that does it. Mm -hmm. Now, with regard to the reading of the Word, and this is my own personal experience, there's a lot of times I don't want to be doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I did, for whatever reason, I'm too tired in the morning, or mm -hmm. or I, I have other things that I'm concerned. But I more or less have to force myself on those days. Mm -hmm. But once I'm into it, mm -hmm. and that's when God starts speaking to me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and and then you get excited, mm -hmm. and then it's like, why didn't I want to do this? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. then you fall into that lapse again, because mm -hmm. humanly speaking, our minds are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or like ping, in ping pong game, you know, mm -hmm. going back and forth between the things of the world, and mm -hmm. so to the point of, of what you're saying and what what's being said here, the the more we put ourselves in the position of study, whether we want to or not, it becomes more uh, um, desired mm -hmm. in our in our lives, yeah. in our hearts. Yeah, it's a one second, Steve. Um, it is a spiritual discipline, reading the word, and you can have the same, you know, people compare to going to the gym, like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym, you know, um, but once you get there, like, oh, I'm glad I did, you know, the blood's flowing and the endorphins and everything like that, like, oh, I'm so glad. This can even be in relationships as well, though, because, like, you know, it's not going to the gym to be with your Lord, right? But if you've been married any length of time, like, do you want to have that conversation at the end of the day? Like, I'm tired. Can we talk tomorrow? And we do the same with our with our Heavenly Father at times, uh, our Savior. Um, we don't love the way we ought to love, you know? I mean, um, I have mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again. But we get these commandments in Scripture about what we should be doing um, because primarily those things that we're, we struggle to do. It's, it's the things that kind of... Our flesh is like, ah, I don't want to. Um, but we should pursue it and continue to pursue it and seek to grow in it. Um, R.C. Sproul was, was, was relaying a story. He was talking with someone, you know, and, and they were dealing with guilt and trying to figure stuff out. And, and he says, the commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He goes, do you think you've ever been able to do that? You know, I mean, it's something, this is what we're told to, but it's... It doesn't come naturally to us. We still struggle with the flesh. Steve? Um, just to add, um, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. We have things to do. We have uh, families to raise or we have uh, businesses to run. Um, we can do all of that with God in mind. And what is, how can I please Him in this? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, um, in that way, we're both loving our neighbor and yeah, and that's important. But and so yeah, we, we want to have the understanding that we are not in sin or loving God less than we ought to if we're 
living life the way we're supposed to, <laughs> you know, living, trying to live and conduct ourselves, you know, the things we think and say and do in a manner that glorifies the Lord. Um, but we can also have thoughts about him as well. You know, when you think of uh, the Psalms that are written, you know, just praise his name and, and just reflecting on the goodness of God. Um, we also want to leave room in our minds for that. Um, when we're looking at different things, when we're considering our circumstances, you know, and we recognize a, a blessing that maybe we've been taking for granted or something new that comes up, do we give God the glory? Do we give him praise? You know, Romans 1 says not only do we, we look at creation and know there's a creator, but those who are wicked and being given over, they didn't want to honor God or give him thanks. And so we want to be a thankful people who do have godly thinking and godly thoughts. Does that make sense? Everyone's tracking? Mike? I think it's also the same. Probably just saying, but, uh, you know, there's a difference between loving things that God gives us as blessings mm -hmm. and loving God himself. Yeah. To, to know and desire God and not his hand. Right. Not we talked about that in chapter 4 as far as loving him. Uh, king Alexander was saying, you know, I have these two friends, and one loves me because I'm King Alexander, <laughs> and one just loves me because I'm Alexander. We want to love God for the goodness he is, <laughs> you know, just the fact that he's God and he's worthy and we want to give him our love um, and not just think he's a genie, <laughs> you know, and, and what can we get from him? Uh, of course, we first interact with him because he has set his love on us and he gives us his mercy and his forgiveness. Um, but as we grow in our relationship, we, we learn to love him for all that he is and not just the gifts that he gives, right? Okay, other questions or comments before we move on to number three? All right, so we have musing of the mind upon God, the desire of communion with God, and number three is grief for sin. Where there is love to God, there is grieving for our sins of unkindness against him. A child who loves his father cannot but weep for offending him. The heart which burns in love melts in tears. Oh, that I should abuse the love of so dear a Savior. Did not my Lord suffer enough upon the cross, but must I make him suffer more? Shall I give him more gall and vinegar to drink? How disloyal and hypocritical have I been? How have I grieved his spirit, trampled upon his royal commands, slighted his blood? This opens up a vein of godly sorrow and makes the heart bleed afresh. Peter went out and whipped, wept bitterly. When Peter thought how dearly Christ loved him, how he was taken up into the Mount of Transfiguration, where Christ showed him the glory of heaven in a vision, that he should deny Christ after he had received such amazing love from him, this broke his heart with grief. He went out and wept bitterly. By this, let us test our love to God. Do we shed the tears of godly sorrow? Do we grieve for our unkindness against God, our abuse of his mercy and non-improvement? are not improvement the talents which he has given us. How far are they from leaving God who sin, I'm sorry, how far are they from loving God who sin daily and their hearts never smite them? They have a sea of sin and not a drop of sorrow. They are so far from being troubled that they make merry with their sins. When you engage in your wickedness, then you rejoice. O wretch, did Christ bleed for sin and do you laugh at it? These are far from loving God. Does he love his friend who loves to do him an injury? strong thoughts 
we love God, we are grieved over our sins against him. To recognize his kindness towards us, the suffering of our Savior on our behalf, and our love for him will cause us to mourn our attitudes and behaviors. Watson points to sin as unkindness against God, abuse of his mercy, and non-improvement of the talents he has given us. These are sins of both commission and omission. Zach. Yeah, that was my question. What, what does it mean by non-improvement of the talents Jesus given us? Yeah, there's a parable where um, Jesus is talking about the, the master who gives each of his uh, servants uh, a, a number of talents. Um, and some go and they earn more with the talent. Wasn't We think of talents today as gifts and abilities, um, which it can <laughs> still mean. Um, but talent specifically in Scripture was actually a, a certain unit of money. Um, and so there were those who he gave money to and said, okay, you know, they were his stewards. Go and be responsible for this. Be productive. Be fruitful with it. And some went out and they earned more. <laughs> you know, some earned a lot. Some earned a little bit. And one took and hid it in the ground and did nothing with it. Um, and the Lord judged him for that. Like, this was your responsibility. We are ultimately stewards of everything that God has given us. He's given it to us. We didn't earn it. We, you know, we think, well, I went to work and I earned it. He gave us the breath in our lungs to live, the, the health to go out and to work. Everything we have comes from his hand of blessing. And that includes our ability to earn a living, but also every believer has a, at least one spiritual gift that is meant for the edification of the body to build them up. So if God has given us things and said, okay, be fruitful, honor and glorify me in it, and I just say, I'm going to sit on my couch and watch Netflix until the Lord comes, that would be a modern version of non-improvement of talent. And so that is, it's sin. We think of sin as, oh, I went and stole, or I cursed, or I hurt someone. Sin is not doing what the Lord has called you to. So yes, um, that would be what, what he's referring to there. And so these are the ways we sin. Erica. When, it, when it's mentioning sorrow for and grief over sin, mm -hmm. how do you know what's I mean, like, you know how sorrow is supposed to match how severe sin is? I don't know if that's... Well, the punishment is supposed to match the crime, right? Yeah. If you If you... If you injure someone under the Old Testament law, you know, to make sure that they gave just retribution and didn't exceed it, you know, the punishment was supposed to fit the crime. Um, and so that's our understanding of a punishment should fit the crime. You know, uh, it shouldn't be some wild, exaggerated response to it. As far as sorrow. So I was just thinking about how, um, you know, there's the Right, the worldly um, sorrow that Paul talks about. Right. Yeah, there's a worldly sorrow where you know lots of people experience that they've gotten caught. <laughs> there's a there's a punishment that's coming with it, or they might just be because their reputation is so damaged. You know, their pride can be like they're they're broken up over, not because of what they actually did wrong, not because of their offense against God, but because of the impact it's having on them, whether it's consequences for their their sin or their crime, whether it be a punishment or just the 
the fall from grace in front of every, in the eyes of everyone else. Um, if you have a situation where you're saying um, someone, you know, presumably a believer, is just feeling condemned, you know, because they've they've sinned, um, that could be something of pride uh, weaved into it, or uh, a, not a full understanding of the gospel. And so that's one of those areas where, if I'm counseling someone in that sort of situation, I say, well. You have sinned, but Christ has paid for that sin. You know, your responsibility is to confess it, repent of it, you know, uh, you know, seek God's forgiveness. If you've wronged someone, seek their forgiveness. If, if you've done them harm in some way, seek to make it right. If you've stolen, return it. Those kind of things. You want to make it right. But the idea that you can somehow send yourself to hell, you know, and, and so you feel condemned that that's it, I've lost my salvation, I would try to help you understand the gospel better uh, to recognize Christ has taken away your sin. I mean, I've, if, if you've heard me either counsel or um, in, in several studies, you know, one of my favorite things to bring up, uh, accounts to bring up, if someone is struggling with guilt, because we've, listen, we're sinners. We've done some horrific things. You know, we, we've hurt other people in, in various ways, and we should feel guilty for it um but once we have that forgiveness in christ we have to we have to give it up <laughs> and to hold on to it and stand condemned we're actually thinking more highly of ourself and our sin and not giving god the glory and the power that he has that it'll actually keep us from being fruitful but when someone's really struggling with their sin something they've done in the past and their guilt i bring them to david and um bathsheba you know when nathan comes and confronts him and and Nathan lays out for him, this is exactly what you've done. You know, you've taken another man's wife. You've killed that man. You know, you've, you've brought reproach on the name of God. You know, and unlike uh, Saul, who's making every which excuse for not doing what the Lord commanded him, when Nathan gives him everything, he just says, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says those beautiful words, and the Lord has taken away your sin. I, he was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Many of us don't get to that level of, you know, humanly speaking, sin. You know, it's pretty serious. And he's taken it away. And he has mercy on him. Yes, there's consequences. But when, when you're forgiven, you're forgiven. And that's it. And we glory in that. We rejoice in that. You know, you can read through Psalm 51 and recognize the brokenness over sin. But then rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ. So, so yeah. If someone's really struggling with it, that's where I take them to remind them to keep it in check. They should repent. They should recognize their sin. It's good to take it seriously, but not to remain condemned and you can't move forward. You can't be fruitful for God at that point. You're giving more power to your sin than you are to Christ who takes away sin. So we want to be careful about that. Mike? Yeah, I want to um, read uh, something from James. Other comments or questions? Well, <laughs> I was going to say that I'm reminded of Martin Luther, like mm. the way he used to punish himself, basically, and, yeah. and drive the other priests basically crazy for his confessions. Uh -huh. And we def 
he basically was useless to the kingdom. Yeah. And it wasn't until he realized that by grace you saved through faith that he didn't need to do anything of his own ability to earn the faith with God. Right. That's a good point. And he'd spend hours in the confessional yeah. <laughs> to think of every little thing he had possibly done. When, when you struggle you know, with a sin that you committed, and, and you, sh you think that you've lost your salvation or there's no way God could, could forgive me for that. It's mm. actually arrogance because what you're saying is you are more powerful than the blood of Jesus on the cross. Mm -hmm. And that the blood of Jesus on the cross can, can forgive and atone for every and any sin you can do mm -hmm. or it can. Mm -hmm. If you think you've outdone God, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's another sin. You better yeah. step it back. Right. Okay, go ahead, Mike. Uh, James 4, uh, 8 through 9. Uh, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to the Lord, and your joy to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Me too. Grief, mourn, and wail, but on that point, um, yeah, yeah, there's a sense there where James is talking to people who are being a little bit hard-hearted, you know, um, and, and so he's, he's using some strong language with them, you know, and as uh, Pastor Anthony, um, you know, you've heard him say it, you know, in, in praying, you know, Lord, you know, afflict the comfortable, and then comfort the afflicted. You know, um, if, if someone is hard-hearted, they need the truth of the law brought down on them to help them to see where they stand before God. But once you're there and you're broken, we have the gospel that provides the comfort from the Father of mercies. Uh, so yeah, it's, you know, there's a ditch on both sides, you know, in, in you know, Grieving too much in one sense, and, and having a, a little bit of arrogance, and thinking that your sin was is just too much. You're you're just too wicked for for Christ to save. You know, when the Apostle Paul says, "I'm the chief of sinners," how many Christians did he play a part in, in putting them to death and seeing them put to death? Um, most of us we just haven't got there. You know, and, and praise God for His grace to hold us back from that kind of sin and and from having some of that guilt to go with us. But He takes away all our guilt. But if we do love God, we should grieve our sin, brother. Um, so we want to make sure that we have a balanced perspective on it. But, but good, good questions and, and insights. Thank you. Number four, another fruit of genuine love for God is courage. Love is valorous. It turns cowardice into courage. Love will make one venture upon the greatest difficulties and hazards. The fearful hen will fly upon a dog or serpent to defend her young ones. Just so, love infuses a spirit of gallantry and fortitude into a Christian. He who loves God will stand up in his cause and be an advocate for him. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. He who is afraid to own Christ has but little love to him. Nicodemus came sneaking to Christ by night. He was fearful of being seen with him in the daytime. Love casts out fear. As the sun expels fog, uh, fogs and vapors, so divine love, in a great measure, expels carnal fear. 
Does he love God who can hear his blessed truth spoken against and be silent? He who loves his friend will stand up for him and vindicate him when he is reproached. Does Christ appear for us in heaven and we are afraid to appear for him on earth? Love animates a Christian. It fires his heart with zeal and steals him with courage. <coughs> Questions, comments about that? Jake. Um, just a couple examples come to mind. Um, one on the positive, affirming this, and one on the negative. Mm -hmm. um, the, the first one would be David and Goliath, mm -hmm. you know. Um, David's courageous zeal for the Lord and his and um, you know just his love for God is what you know spurs him on to go and fight fight this Philistine you know mm -hmm. this giant and, mm -hmm. and dreadful you know and he does it without you know a second thought in his mind mm -hmm. um, and then the other one would be uh, Peter when he denies Christ three times and he and he cowers in fear mm -hmm. um, for being you know, being associated with Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we see on this two different sides of the spectrum, you know, yeah. that, uh, that love that's being talked about. Yeah, indeed. You think of Goliath and just how big this guy was. And here here was King Saul. And one of the reasons he was, you know, looked upon by the people is, well, he's a head and <laughs> taller than everyone else. And he's terrified. All their valiant soldiers are terrified. And in comes the shepherd boy. <laughs> This guy, <laughs> he's defying God. It, it wasn't David looking at his own strength. That he goes, ah, I've been working on some grappling techniques. I think I can get him. You know, just get him around his knees and take him down. No, he's trusting the Lord to, to give him the victory. And on the other hand, Peter, who was all talk, I'm, I'm willing to die for you. And he didn't want to be associated with him, you know, when everything was going against him. And, um, and here, you know, when we think of persecution in America, you know, um, sometimes even to, to name Christ, knowing that people will think poorly of us, you know, they won't take us seriously or they'll speak disparagingly about us is enough for us to hold back um, from sharing the gospel. We're not even being looked at like, you're on the cross next, buddy, you know. I mean, that's where Fox's Book of Martyrs and how many saints went to their death and all they had to do was renounce their faith. They said, take everything, you know. Um, if we love God, we will have the courage to stand up and to speak the truth and not, not shy back. Um, I think there's actually one more part to this. No, there wasn't. Where did I... Hmm... I feel like I'm missing a part of it. I probably did. It's mine. <laughs> I feel like there was something. You know, maybe it's later on in the thing and I just thought of it. There's times where I'm thinking some of the thoughts and then he'll bring it up later on because uh, all these things are connected in a way. Uh, I, I put here about. Um, you know, it turns cowardice into courage. Love for God makes us willing to stand for his cause, to be an advocate, even a martyr. I think he talks about martyrdom later on. Uh, so maybe that's what I was thinking. I was thinking of another paragraph. But I said that the willingness to be a martyr, um, yeah, definitely brought it up later on because I, I wrote more about it too. You know, the idea of, uh, you know, there are those who said they would die for Christ, <laughs> but we don't 
live for him, you know. Um, you know, I was Facebook or something. There was a picture of uh, of these folks at a at a football game, right? Big stadium, and they are covered in snow. <laughs> I mean, it looks like someone needs to shovel them to like. You know, I mean, they're just completely covered. As said, if the church was as faithful to show up, you know. Um, but that's later down the line. Okay. Uh, questions or comments? Besides that, Jake, thank you. That's a good point in pointing out the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yes, no? Okay. Fairly uh, straightforward, right? Uh, number five, the fifth fruit of genuine love to God is sensitiveness. If we love God, our hearts ache for the dishonor done to God by wicked men, to see piety and morality broken down, and a flood of wickedness coming in, to see God's name dishonored, if there is any love to God in us, we shall lay these things to heart. Lot's righteous soul was vexed with the filthy lives of the wicked. The sins of Sodom were as so many spears to pierce his soul. How far are they from loving God who are not at all affected with his dishonor? If they have but peace and trading, they lay nothing to heart. A man who is dead drunk never minds nor is affected by it, though another is bleeding to death by him. Just so many being drunk with the wine of prosperity, when the honor of God is wounded and his truths lie a-bleeding, are not affected by it. Did men love God? They would grieve to see his glory suffer, and piety itself became a martyr, become a martyr. Comments about that? Do you understand what he's saying? How to put in your own words? Mike. Just grieved uh, by uh, how people just let them take to those things again. Mm -hmm. um, specifically at work, and it's just uh, I, I think there's a time and a place to, to say something about it. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like, what is there to say you know, when, you, when you take the Lord's name in vain? So it's just uh, it is something to be grieved. Zach. I have a question. Sure. Like, kind of on what you said. So my dad, he like he does that constantly. Mm -hmm. And like if I try to like rebuke him, mm -hmm. or like <laughs> if I try to tell him it's wrong, uh -huh. um, he just. He, he thinks that, like, me going to church is, like, funny. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, he was, like, the type of guy that, uh, when he was younger, like, his mom would go into church, and, like, he would wait in the car. Oh, wow. So, like, what do I... How, mm. well, I don't know. I would ask, like, how do I get him to believe that that just seems kind of too far-fetched? Uh -huh. Or, like, how do I get him to realize, like, what he's doing is, like, is, you know... The... What do I say to him? You can't. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, uh, I'll give you the good news. Um, and it's good news in the sense of, you know, here particularly, you know, we hold to Reformed theology, covenant theology, and one of the overarching understandings is that God is sovereign. He is sovereign in everything. Um, everything. But specifically, we think of, you know, soteriology. How, are, how is a person saved? How do they come to believe? God has to do a work in their heart. Now, of course, 
we have to share the gospel. We're not what they would call a, you know, a hyper-Calvinist or something like that. We're like, oh, you know, you have to share the good news. You know, God will save whoever he's going to save. He does it through us. But um, all we're called to be is faithful. We're not called to be successful. And so you have no way of knowing if he's going to respond in repentance and faith to the truth that you share. Um, and you're not, it, it's not your obligation you're not honoring God if you're trying to like hammer with him every time you talk to him either. You have to know when to pick and choose your your battles, so to speak, and just when to have those conversations. If you know when 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 the Lord Jesus is sending his people out to preach the gospel, you know, he gives them some instruction about, you know, if they receive you, great. If they don't receive you, you know, you, you knock the dust off your shoes. Um, you know, you, you take your, your peace with you. Uh, he tells them, don't cast your pearls before swine. There are times where you don't know, you know, where they're at, but, you know, some context might not be a right context to even attempt to try to talk to someone about the gospel. Other contexts, there's probably most of them where you might have an opportunity to, but you can't just keep hammering them and hammering them and hammering them. You know, um, when Peter is trying to encourage in a family situation, in, in the case of a spouse, you know, a wife with an unbelieving husband. He says, make your conduct in such a way that maybe they'll believe without even a word because they're going to see how you behave and that's what the Lord is going to use to convict them, to bring them to repentance and faith because he's going to say, look at how it's changed, you know, this person in my life. I had a young man I knew uh, I knew his father, who, who was a deacon, I, so I knew him through his father. But you know, he was coming, and he was, he was giving a talk with some kids, and he said he had gone to college, did four years, and um, he heard from a friend, like one of the, the roommates or something at the dorm, uh, who called him up and said, hey, you know, I wanted you to know I got saved. I said, well, that's great. He said, I want to know, I was watching you for like however long, a year or four years or whatever it was. And he never talked to him about the things of the Lord. But he just kept watching him, and he knew he was a believer, and it left an impact on him. And then later on down the line, he came to know Christ. So you can say, hey, you know, taking the Lord's name, or hey, you know, or you could share, or maybe a conversation come up, and it'll give you a chance to ask a question or make a comment. But don't try to force it. Just keep praying for him, because you and your own power can't. As much as we'd love to See our loved ones saved, parents, siblings, you know, children, family and friends. We can't save them. We can share the truth with them, but we pray that the Lord would work in their heart. Jerry? The comment I was going to make, and it kind of goes right along with this now that you've said what you've said. The taking of the Lord's name in vain is not always a verbal thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's, it's those of us who are believers and we don't live the Christian life. We don't walk the walk. Mm. We might talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. You know, it's, it kind of reminds me of the Good Samaritan, although he obviously was considered, uh, uh, I can't think of the phrase, but person not to be associated with. Right. Yet he loved his neighbor more mm. than the, the others that passed the neighbor by. Right. And our neighbor is the pagan down the street as mm -hmm. well as it is the, the Christian that lives next door. Mm -hmm. So this this is far more than just saying, you know, God 
blankety blank or mm -hmm. you know using God's name you know in a, in a mm -hmm. way of cursing mm -hmm. it's it's also how we live our lives you know whether we're upholding his character mm -hmm. in our lives and that goes along with what you were sharing with, with Zach because how Zach lives his life is going to speak volumes Lord willing to his father mm -hmm. uh, I had a situation I wasn't gonna bring this up but it, 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 it's got me kind of uh, thinking about it uh, of one of the presidents at, on, uh, of one of the divisions at the company, I, I joke with him every once in a while. He sent me this whole list of puns, right? Mm -hmm. and, you know, he says to brighten your day, but then he also put, maybe you can use it in one of your sermons. And I'm like, where did he get this from? <laughs> but then I realized he sees me every morning doing my Bible study. So mm -hmm. maybe that, so, but you can keep that in prayer because I'm mm -hmm. going to go in and ask him mm -hmm. and say, hey, what do you mean by this? You mm -hmm. know, maybe it'll open a door. Mm -hmm. But my point being, it, it, what you said, it's what they see, not always what they hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we do want to share those things when we get the opportunity. I mean, some people said, you know, um, you know, preach the gospel always when necessary. Use words. Don't use that. Yeah. <laughs> use words. <laughs> gospel is good news. Um, you can't mime out good news because um, sometimes even Mormons and, and others can be very moral and, and you know, of, of good character, humanly speaking. Um, but so we, we do want to share. But he knows you're going to church and he's laughing now. But I'm sure there's probably a few people here who could tell you about people who kind of laughed at them or gave them a hard time. But when things get tough, they're asking, they're asking for prayer or, you know, that they know you're the person to go and talk to because, you know, you're the only one in their life who is doing something very differently. You know, and so when we we we're walking in it, we're seeking to be obedient to it. And when we blow it, we're asking forgiveness. You know, um, that's something we have to re recognize that as Christians, we're not just an example by every by doing everything right, you know, um, the times when we blow it, it's strange to people to have someone go and apologize to them or ask their forgiveness for something that would otherwise, you know, if, if they were in your in your shoes, they'd be like, ah, we'll just squash it. Or, ah, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. You know, but to go and say, you know, I, I was really out of line before. You know, I'm sorry. I lost my temper. Will you forgive me? It's even that's going to make a difference to them. And right along with that is when people find unbelievers apologize to you and you say I forgive you mm -hmm. you don't say oh that's okay right but, yeah it's but not okay but say <laughs> I forgive you mm -hmm. is very different than don't worry about it how everyone else yeah would react yeah and respond yeah there's a contrast there so you have a number of different ways that you're going to be able to reach someone who might be even hostile at this point or or mocking you know um, but you, you look for those opportunities you pray for them and you know you just keep praying for that person you know we, we've mentioned here about taking the lord's name in, in vain and, and that's certainly one way that uh people dishonor him you know by speaking professing to be one thing and then not being consistent with it um i was thinking of uh paul you know walking through athens and his soul was provoked by the rampant idolatry <laughs> he couldn't wait to start talking to them you know because he's just like Ah, you know, you're supposed to be worshiping the one true God and you're worshiping everyone else. But you got this one statue here. Let me tell you about him. You know, let me tell you about the one true God. Um, when we love God, we are sensitive to his mistreatment. We're, we are sensitive to the fact that this whole world is going 
sideways, you know, and we know it's because they're rejecting God. They're showing hostility to him. And so that should break our heart. You know, we should be praying over this, praying that we would see repentance. And then as God gives us opportunity to share the gospel, to, to do good work so that people would see and, and recognize, um, but those who love God are sensitive uh, to that. Those who have peace and prosperity and they don't have love for God, they don't care about any of it. Um, they're, they're thinking nothing about God and, and nothing even about their neighbor if they have what they need. It talks about having a drunken person uh, who has no concern for someone who's bleeding out right next to him. And our society is, is a lot like that. You know, As long as I have me and mine taken care of, I don't care about anyone else. You know. Um, and so that's that's that that one. We are past time. I was going to try to get a couple more in, but we'll uh, pick up with number six next week. So uh, we'll close. Well, let me ask. I don't have the slide yet. There was a couple slides down. Questions? <laughs> I know you need the slide to. <laughs> Any questions or comments to uh, before we wrap up? listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda! Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me.